All right. Hey, good morning, City Light. How are we doing today? All right. Great to be with you all this morning with God's Word and with God's people. Uh, hey, happy Daylight Savings Day time. Um, I was so distraught waking up this morning. I'm one of those people who just can't keep up with this time change. So I just kept arguing with my wife this morning. No, no. Our son woke up at 4 a.m. He woke up at 4 a.m. He still needs to sleep. No, no, babe. It's 5 a.m. It's 5 a.m. It's 6 right now. Um, so anyway, I don't know why I'm sharing that. But hey, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will be glad and rejoice in him. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, it's been a while. My name is John Arevalo, husband of my wife, Leah. Uh, father to my son Isaiah and one of the pastors here for Light Church. It's been a real, real pleasure and privilege to serve you all. If this is your first time, uh, you should have a connect card either at your seat or near or next to your seat. Please, please sign up to that. We would love to connect with you, but also help you just walk in wherever God has you in this season of life. Also, if you don't have a scripture journal, Please raise your hand, and we should have Grace or anyone else uh, who can give you this copy. We truly believe that this right here, engaging with God, is an opportunity is an opportunity to use this as you engage with God. So Grace and all them, okay, they're going to grab a few uh, as we start. So thank you. Uh, the title of today's sermon is A Worthy Work. A Worthy Work. Now, what is a work worth working? That's the question for this morning. Now, how do you measure the worth of your work? Now, what determines the worth of your work? What makes your work worth it? I asked these same very questions to a couple of guys that I met this past week and listened to some of their responses, you know, one guy said, as long as I influence someone to make their life better, it's worth it. That's a great response. That's a life worth living. Another one said, if my values are being passed down to my grandchildren, my work is worth it. That's a great response. Another guy says, I really don't care what others think. As long as my kids call me a good father, my work is worth it. It's a great response right there. These are all great responses. In fact, very noble goals that we all want in our lives. But there's something similar about the responses that we can share. And it's this, that the worth of their work is dependent on someone. You know, the worth of their work is dependent on the desired outcome that is often outside of our controls. You know, we can't always get people to like us. We can't always have people approve of us no matter how much we try. And this is a natural response for all of us. Certainly results are good. You know, I'm not anti-results. Results is an essential and critical thing in how we work, how we live, and how we stand before God. Amen to that. But results is not the only measurement of the worth of your work. It is not. Yet the world has flipped that. You know, the world saying results have become the only measurement of your work. And this is obvious in the world we live in today. There's this term in the professional world called metrics fixation. Okay, just remember that. Metrics, numbers, fixation. 
In Fast Company, this article said that the key components of metric fixation are the belief that it is possible and desirable to replace professional judgment acquired through personal experience and talent with numerical indicators of comparative performance based upon standardized data, i.e. metrics, metrics fixation. The world we live in is obsessed with metrics fixation to determine their worth, so much so that some surgeons, believe it or not, will sometimes refuse to operate in more complex procedures with patients who have problems, more higher problems, just to improve their metric scores. You know, the world, that's the world we live in. Results have become the only measurement of our worth, the only measure of the worth of our work. So this morning, I simply want to show you how God measures our work. I simply want to show you how God measures the worth of your work and the worth of your life. So open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12 with me. Hey, I'm going to do that one more time. The first time I did that a few months ago, I forgot, I completely forgot to do that, so I got severely reprimanded. So one more time. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. There we go, there we go. All right, let's read the passage together. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, which calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's God's word. Before we get started, I want to show you verse 1. Look at verse 1 more time. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Another word for vain here is failure without purpose or empty. Paul was saying to the church that my work towards you and with you was not fruitless. It was not pointless, and it was not worthless. They had to say this because people outside of the church were trying to discredit the work of Paul. You know, they were saying that Paul was only in it for the money. You know, Paul only cared for the metrics. They were saying to the church that Paul didn't really care about you. He came to you for selfish reasons. He just came to flatter you for his own popularity. He used you for his own gain. 
His motivations to serve you were selfish. Yet Paul says that my coming to you was not worthless. It was not in vain. And this is an important principle as we dive into the text a lot more, that the devil truly attacks the character of your work more than the results of your work. You know, he attacks constantly the integrity of your work more than the outcome of your work. He does that. The devil attacks your motivation more than your production. He attacks your motivation more than your production, and we can get lost in the production side of things. People ask me how church is doing often, a lot of the times. The following question, the next question they always ask me is how many people are coming? How many people are coming? And then, I, no, sinner like me, I get, get, get caught track in that and focus the conversation on more of the production and the results of what the Lord is doing, which is praise God and amen and all this to the point where I lose sight of the motivation of why I do it. The devil simply attacks your motivation than your production. And this happens especially when things are going great, when things are going great. And this is right here the main reason why Paul, in this letter, did not settle with the results of his work to defend the worth of his work. He did not settle with the results. Because if we're just going to talk about results, Thessalonian church was a successful church. I mean, it was a booming church. Chapter 1 says that this church is and served as an example from every church everywhere. If this church existed today, they would have more, they would probably have more followers than LeBron James on Instagram. You know, if this church existed today, we'd be buying their books. If this church existed today, we'd be buying their swag, not silly like swag. No, they have Nikes and Under Armors and all that. If this church were successful today, you know, we'd be listening to their worship songs, not Maverick City, not Hillsong. Not all those guys. Now, if this church were successful today, we would be listening to their great preaching. Not John Piper. Not any of those guys. This is how successful the Thessalonians church was, yet Paul is not settling with the results of his work. And this is a word for us all as we dive in with the life of our church and where we are right now is don't settle with the results of your work to defend the worth of your work. Don't. Whether the results look great or the results look bad, don't settle with it. Results are not the only way to determine your identity. It is not the only way to measure your joy. It is not the only way to define your worth. And as a church, God does not want us to settle with the results. He wants us to go deeper so that we can do things he has called us to do more and more and more and more. God does not want us to settle. So considering all that, here are four reminders of what a worthy worth looks like for you. Number one, a worthy work is empowered by God. A worthy work is empowered by God. Verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I find my worth in the power of God working in me. 
no matter what I'm doing, from cutting grass or to making these big-time decisions, I find my worth and the power of God working in me. To be empowered by God is to have boldness in God. To be empowered by God is to have courage in God. To be empowered by God is to have strength in God. To be empowered by God is to have boldness in God through the power of his presence. Why? Because the power of God affirms the worth of your work in the midst of discouragement. And it's the power of God working in you that affirms you in your work in the midst of disappointment. The power of God affirms you in your work for God. Now, this sounds great. It sounds really great. Now, we ask a question, how can I be empowered by God, John? How can I be empowered by God? You know, and we see all through the Bible, first of all, pray. Pray for his empowerment. And you know what the next step is? We see this in this passage. Take a risk. If you want God's power and presence, take a risk. Take a risk. Because Thessalonica was not a friendly place. In fact, after Paul and Silas shared the gospel to the Thessalonians, you know what happened in Acts 17? The Jews formed a mob to get them. They formed a mob to get Paul and Silas. Yet verse 2 says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. His power is in his passion. His power is in his passion. You receive the power of God when you live for the passion of God. And the passion of God is found in the gospel of God. The gospel of God, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. While you were rebelling from God and deserving of death, Jesus gave his life for you by dying on a cross. Three days later, he rose again to defeat death. So that whoever would come to him and believe in him will be saved. This is the passion of God. And in his passion, he's calling you to make disciples of all nations, to risk your life to make disciples. And he promised to be with you. The promise of his presence is found in the power of his presence to be with you forever. This is his passion. This is a worthy work. From big risk to small risk, you will find the power of of God. So take a risk, big or small. I want to give you one example. Uh, the last time we did baptisms here earlier in the year, uh, maybe some of you guys remember Pamela Kirby. She's right there, Pamela Kirby. Um, may, come on, now it's Pamela. You remember her, trust me. There you go, there you go. Uh, Pamela took her several months uh, to finally decide to get baptized. And one of her hesitations of getting baptized, which we all share was her fear of being exposed. All of us have that fear. Fear of being as exposed to share my testimony, to share all my crap. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. Sorry. Uh, and yet, she decided to get, to get baptized. I want you to see the transition there. She took the risk of being exposed by sharing the testimony of her life, the working of God in her life, which is the very passion of God. His power 
is in his passion. You guys remember that testimony. I don't know about you, but she preached. She preached, and we have all witnessed and felt the power of God at that very moment. And so is every other baptism that we've had here. That's one small risk, whatever it is. Take a risk. If it's serving in a ministry that you haven't been exposed to, take that risk. If it's calling a friend that you haven't talked to in forever, take that risk. Because why? In his, his power in his, in his, is in his passion. You will receive and experience the power of God as you go after the passion of God. It often requires taking a risk. No matter how things turn out, no one can ever discredit your worth. No one can ever discredit your worth by the risk you take for the gospel. And that's the beautiful part here is, in God's eyes, it's never a risk. It's never a risk. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9 says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And here's the risk, and there are many adversaries. What you often see as a risk, God sees as an opportunity for effective work. What you might see as a closed door, God sees as a wide door for effective work. And it's in this very space we find a work worth working simply because you and I are empowered by God, by the blood of God, Jesus Christ. Number two, a worthy work is pleasing in the sight of God. A worthy work, a work that is worthy is pleasing in the sight of God, not men. Verses three to four, for our appeal to you, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been empowered by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. I want you to understand this, how important this is for Paul. I want you to understand how important this is for Paul. For Paul, in Paul's perspective, if he is pleasing men, he disqualifies himself from being a servant of God. If he is pleasing men, he is disqualifying and discrediting himself from being a servant of God. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, look at this, I would not be a servant of Christ. Hmm. And how many of us do this? I do it. But how many of us never discredit ourselves as we please men? Your worth is measured by the pleasure of God, not by the pleasure of men. Your worth is measured by the pleasure of God, not by the pleasure of men. Is God pleased should be the main question as you end your day. Was God pleased? That's it. There's a book called um, There's a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. Great book, highly recommended. When people are big and God is small. And the writer said, he said, regarding other people, other people, our problem, our problem is that we need them for ourselves, 
more than we love them for the glory of God. That's the problem. If you fear men, and if you're struggling of saying yes all the time just to please them, this is the problem. The problem is we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. We need them for our self-esteem. We need them for our security. We need them for our sense of worth. We need them more than we love them. And the struggle is real. This happens all the time. Uh, I was a, earlier this year, I served as a mentor for Falls Church High School for a little bit, where basically they, did, they, they assign you with some of the more troubled kids during the, in that area, and you meet them in one of their classes to just help work with homework. Okay, so just there for a couple hours, assigned to one kid, and you just help them with their homework, um, help them. Some of these kids are new to the country. Some of these, these kids aren't living with their parents. So some of these kids are actually working full-time and going to school full-time just so they can pay their own rent at 16 years old. No, that's some of the things that they're going through. So I'm talking, um, I was excited. This is my first time back after COVID. And when I got there, the kid that I was assigned to wasn't around. So I waited for like 15 minutes in the back of the room. The sub-teacher was like, I don't know where he is. And some of the guys were saying, maybe he cut class. Maybe he cut class. He's just around hiding somewhere. So what I did, I saw a guy cross the room and just doing their own thing, like a regular high school kid, not really caring, just on his phone. And like, hey, man, you want to help me find this kid? You probably know. I'm like, yeah, I do. I'll show you around. So <laughs> this is hilarious. He showed me all the hiding spots around Falls Church High School. That's to where to cut class. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the places they, they try to hide. I'm like, you must hate school really that bad. Like, this is not great. I mean, from every hidden bathroom, everything, every possible way, he was trying to share all these things. And I got to, get, I got to know him about his spiritual life, got to share the gospel. And it seems like I made a connection with this guy. Okay, this could be something. This could be something. And lo and behold, 20 minutes before the class ended, and today, he decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to skip class and go home. And this is where fear of man, pleasure of man comes into play. Like, what do I say to this kid? I mean, I want him to think I'm cool, you know? I want him to think I'm cool. I, think, I don't want him to think I'm, like, not a police around here. And this, I, this was real peer pressure. I felt like I was right back in high school. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say for a while. And right before he walked out the door, right before... The door's right there, right before it. I was like, hey, man, look him in the eye. Hey, man, whatever you decide to do, God sees. God sees. And he kept walking right out the door. Have a good day. <laughs> now, I share that story. I share that story to share you the internal struggle that goes on as we deal with people. It's real. It's real. And, 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 but at the end of verse 5, says that God is witness. The worth of my work is tested by the sight of God. That's it. The worth of my work is tested by the sight of, sight of God. And he asked, did you please men or did you please me? This is the only thing that matters. Did you please men or did you please me? Not my boss, not my friends, 
not my wife. All, all those things count, but at the end of the day, no matter how things turn out, good or bad, at the end of the day, this is the only aim of our lives. Did you please God? The worth of your work is not found in your popularity, but in the pleasure of God. The worth of your work is not found in your prosperity, but in the pleasure of God. And here is the good news of the gospel. Because in Jesus, in Jesus, it is God's pleasure over you that empowers you to please him. It is God's spirit, spirit in you that bores and bears the fruits of the spirit in you. He will encourage you to show you the way to his joy in Christ. He is singing over you today. It's the rich mercies of his pleasure over you that will empower you to please him. This is his very heart. So if you are in Christ, you're in great standing. You're in great standing. You know your worth to please God, but also he is empowering you to please him in a lot of ways because he is your father. We are his child. Not employees, not just servants, child first. Number three, reminder number three, a worthy work is passion for the people of God. A worthy work is passion for the people of God. And just what we've learned, need people less, love people more. I hope that's one thing you'll remember today. Need people less, love people more. Need people less for my selfish reasons, love people more for the passion of God. There will be less drama. Life would be simpler if we all need people less but love people more. And Paul loved his church in two ways. First, Paul loved them like a mother. Paul loved them like a mother. Verse 7 says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of our own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, you were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I want you to feel, to feel the emotion behind Paul's writing. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother. I was so affectionately longing for you. I'd not only shared a gospel to you, but I shared my own life because you are so dear to me. And this, this how you feel for God's people. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 shows that, that love is action. Saying love is action, that's truth. But this passage shows that, that love is not without affection. You know? Love is action, but love is not without affection. And the people of God should be loved in this way. To share the gospel is also to share your very life to someone. This is it. We spend a lot of time training and sharing the gospel, but I hope you don't miss that the whole point of sharing the gospel is for you to be able to share your own lives to the lost world because Jesus gave his very life for this world. He didn't just share and declare the gospel. He gave his very life by dying on that cross. So are you sharing your life to the lost? Paul loved them like a mother. 
Next is Paul loved them like a father. Like a father. Verse 11, for you know like a father would his children. We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Exhort, encourage, charge. Exhort, encourage, charge. For us parents, for us parents, I pray that this passage would affirm you. Affirm your sacrifices in your homes. My prayer today is may our homes be a harvest, not just a haven. May our homes be a harvest. May, may May it not be a place to escape, but also a place to engage. To engage with our kids. To engage with our wives. To engage with the rest of our family. May it not be a place to escape. May we not just share the gospel to our kids, but also share our very lives to our kids. May our homes be a harvest that reaps into eternal life. This is my prayer for us. And for parents dealing with kids right now, they're not walking with the Lord or going through a season of rebellion, I want you to know God wants to tell you that it's worth it. He sees your sacrifice. He sees how you navigate all those difficult conversations. He sees your love for them. If you're a sibling right now and you have siblings right now that don't walk in the Lord, I just want to share you, he sees that same thing. He sees your love for them. He sees you. And he says to you, it's worth it. Why? Because you love them and you love me. And this right here leads us to our very last reminder. A worthy work prepares for the glory of God. A worthy work prepares for the glory of God. We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner of worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For most of you, God wants to tell you that it's worth it. Whatever you're going through, he wants to tell you that it is worth it. You are living a worthy work. It's worth every pain. It's worth every sacrifice. It's worth every second. It's worth every sleepless night. It's worth every tear. Why? Because he has called you into his own kingdom and glory. And our lives are designed to prepare us for this moment. Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings, sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The glory that God calls you and I will be beyond comparison. And there will be a day, there will be a day where death shall be no more. There will be a day that sin shall be no more. There will be a day that sufferings shall be no more. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more refugees. And all peoples will worship him. All peoples, all nations will bow down to him, even that man in Russia. He will come to you. He will come to you and I. 
He'll look at you. And he will wipe every tear from your eyes. See him face to face. And it's in that moment where you and I fully and completely realize that everything was worth it. This is what my whole life is preparing for. The glory of God in its fullness where we sing to him forevermore. We call him Abba, Father, forever and ever. And we get to to, to dine with Jesus. This is heaven. A worthy work is empowered by God. A worthy work is pleasing in the sight of God. A worthy work is passion for the people of God. And a worthy work prepares for the glory of God. And as we started our time today... As the world measures their work by metrics fixation, may our work be measured by heaven fixation. Fixated on the eyes of God who counts us worthy to be called into his glory by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh, we praise you, God, that you are worthy of our praise. All your work is done in faithfulness, Lord. I pray that you make life simpler for us, that you have just given us these four reminders to help us settle in our works with pure motivations, with the right standing, and with the level of contentment, God, that comes from you. Oh, Lord, may you help us now to rejoice in you, to see you, God, as our one thing, to drink from the river of delight, and, Lord, to see, to say right now that, Your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. And everything that we are going through right now is worth it as you, God, call us into your glory. God, we love you. This we pray in Jesus' name. We stand up now as we sing the glory of God.